Book of Romans. Lots of practical, even though it's very theological, a lot of practical doctrine. That, in fact, all doctrine is practical. We're the ones that kind of make it theoretical or even, quote, theological. But the scriptures are written, and particularly scripture in terms of Bible doctrine is written to impact us and have a, an effect on how we live. And we're going to focus on a whole area that touches everyone, not that some things don't, but very particularly every aspect of our lives. We have a tendency to compartmentalize, and we put Sundays kind of separate from the other six days. We put worship in one little box, and job, and career, and everything else in another separate Box and sometimes the two don't come together. But I'd like to talk a little bit about, and we'll focus on the word calling today. And we need to take a different perspective in terms of our vocation, in terms of our work environment, you might say, that occupies the most amount of time in our week usually. But if you compartmentalize it, then you're really missing out on a lot of what God has for us. And I see Bill back there who owns a corporation and this is one of his main areas is that uh, you incorporate the two because you don't turn switches off. Sunday evening you turn your Christian switch off and you turn on your work switch on. The two should mesh. And in fact, what you do during the week should be a part of your broader and more important calling. So we'll look at that particularly the word that we have here. So, but before we get there, we're going to look at this first opening paragraph that is addressed to the people at Rome, a real city in real time, who had real lives, and they lived much like we do in a lot of ways. In fact, we have more things in common with the people and the church at Rome than we have differences And most of those things we have in common. Uh, We like sports as well. They like sports, obviously. Very important aspect of life. And we have monuments that have remained, like the Colosseum, from uh, the first century. So what Paul is addressing to people in ancient times, and this is true of all of Scripture, (laughs) all of Scripture, even though some of it may have been dealing with people 4,000 years ago, Because of the nature of man, all of the things that are written have application to us in the 21st century. Back to Rome, back to the original audience. And the point I'm making is, even though this is to a distant in time people and land, distant from us as well, we need to read the scriptures as if, because it is in reality written to us. Individually, So that's what we want to focus in on today. I hope to complete our formal introduction today to the book, and then we'll look at verse 8 next week, and hopefully I'll get you a new outline sheet. I don't like to use the same one. We've used it, what, this is the fourth Sunday already. But I told you the reason for that. So the reason for that is because we're dealing with one sentence And it's better to put the whole sentence on the same outline sheet. Otherwise, you're losing a little bit of the context. So that's why we've been using that same outline sheet. 
And in the Greek text, and also in the English text, you find out that uh, obviously it begins with Paul, and you don't find a period till you get to the end there, the end of verse 7. And I'm not going to go through it in much detail, but just so we kind of get in tune with the context. Subject of the sentence, Paul, and here's an example of a Greek sentence without a verb. It's understood, or we supply it. And the idea to supply here, Paul is sending something to somebody, and whatever he's sending, he probably has a note in that sentence of what he's sending. So everything else is kind of, as you would expect in an introduction, it's introductory. So he describes himself, he's the messenger, and that's how I've broken it down. Verse 1, a bondservant of Jesus Christ called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. That's Paul. We looked at each of those in some detail. Which, once he talks about the gospel, now he has to tell us a little bit about the gospel because that is so important in the book of Romans. That's the central overriding theme. So he mentioned the gospel, and then in verse 2, he has to go back and explain it because it's so important in everything else he's going to say in the gospel. So this is how he's introducing it. Which, referring to the gospel, he promised beforehand, and we looked at some of the Old Testament passages all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where we have the first promise of a savior, doesn't use that word, but of a seed of the woman that will solve the problem of sin. It's given to us in a very broad and even cryptic way. But the gospel is promised in the Old Testament. It's not something new. And people believe that gospel message and received eternal life, much like we do. So, promise beforehand, three, and the main focus of that gospel, the main part of that message, is his son, Jesus Christ. So he's got to introduce the son, because that's the most important element there. Concerning his son, and now once he mentions the son... And the Son is so important that we have to have a little introduction to who Jesus is. Concerning his Son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, emphasizing the physical lineage of Jesus Christ, emphasizing the humanity. But if he speaks of humanity, he can't forget deity, and that's verse 4, who is declared the Son of God with all of the attributes of God himself. The Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. And if he speaks of the Father, and if he speaks of the Son, he can't leave out the Holy Spirit. He's Trinitarian. And then, after he's given the message, so we saw Paul identifies himself as the messenger. And now the message. Now in verse 5, he's going to talk about the mission. And this is the mission of Paul in terms of the book of Romans. Through whom, he's the instrument, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, and that mission and that calling is in order to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. And last week we looked at the primary ministry of Paul is to reach non-Jewish people, not that he omitted them. He begins in the synagogue and then goes to the, the nation of Israel. So the mission is to the Gentiles, but ultimately the broader mission 
is ultimately to glorify Jesus Christ for his name's sake. In other words, everything is for him. So that's part of the mission, the overall broad mission. And by the way, that is our broad mission as well. We have a specific calling that we'll look at that is unique and special in terms of us as individuals, but in general, it'll encompass this broader mission of doing everything for the glory of God. So that's the mission, and then he has to include who this mission specifically is toward, and this is the audience that he's writing to, among whom you also are the called. In other words, you're amongst the Gentiles who have a calling, and that's the word that we're going to look at, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, and then just to cap it off, and we'll get to that after we look at verse 6 there, The idea, now he's getting to what this sentence is kind of focused on. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, he's sending something to the people in Rome, and they're called a saint, and what is he sending them? He wants them to have grace and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that kind of put the whole sentence together? So in the sentence, we have the messenger... We have a message, the main message of the book of Romans, the main mission of Paul, and the mission particularly in verse 6 to the Romans who are amongst the Gentiles. And we also have the the members that will receive that, that's verse 7, to the beloved of God in Rome. And what is he doing? What is the blessing or munificence I put in there to keep with the alliteration? Grace and peace from God, our Father. So that puts it together. That's why I have one outline sheet. So, we're looking at the last part of the mission, at the bottom there of the outline, 1-6. That's where we left off last time. So the mission, Paul is the apostolic instrument, verse 5. The goal, are a Gentile in general, mission to the Gentiles, For the ultimate glory of God and the specific mission is to the Romans in the city of Rome in the first century. And we are amongst that broader audience in a secondary way because the Bible is inspired and scripture is inspired because God has a message for people of every age. So that's the broad outline. So among whom you also... And you can put your name there, you, or you, put your name there. Also, he spoke in a general way about calling, and he is including in this broader calling of Gentiles, and even broader than that, you also, you Romans also, are the called of Jesus Christ. Because this is scripture, you can put your name in the you by way of application. So you in the 21st century, you at Grace Church, you on Sunday morning in November are the called of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at that because I think it's full of helpful insight in terms of our everyday living and hopefully give us a biblical perspective on how to put everything into perspective. 
So let's take a look at this idea of calling, and let me introduce it by giving you the Greek words here. Some of you have taken Greek, like to look at the original language. The basic verb that occurs, I think, 148 times or something, I can't remember, that's not important, is to call. The idea of calling. Now, in some places, it'll be translated to name something. So, just calling a name. In other words, identifying something. And in some contexts, it refers to a city. And it uses the word kaleo. It's named uh, Caesarea, or it's named Jerusalem, or whatever. It's called by this identification. So, that word has that broad usage. It's used in a in other contexts very frequently to have the idea of to invite someone. In other words, hey, you over there, come join us. Ellen, come join us. <laughs> You're too far away. So in, to invite somebody. And more commonly, it's used of inviting to a banquet even. It's used in that context, to invite. And in some translations, it uses the word invite. But it also has this idea, a spiritual idea, or a theological idea, as all words theological do, they come from just kind of ordinary usage. This one also, it has that idea of a divine calling. And I think that's what's in view in the book of Romans. He's not using it in the general sense. He's using it in a theological, spiritual sense, if you will. In terms of God has called us. God has invited us to himself. God has even identified us and named us as his own. And in the context, it talks about the Romans called as saints even. So they are identified with an identity, and that identity includes what he describes as sainthood. So you don't have to wait for the Pope to anoint you, you are already a saint in terms of what biblical seems to teach. So that's the the basic verbal idea. Now the verb is not in this context, but the noun carries all the same significance. It's just in the noun form. The noun that occurs, and it occurs three times in this context. It's the most common word in verses 1 through 7. It occurs three times. In verse 1, applies to Paul. And his specific calling is he's an apostle. So he has a calling used in a a noun sense. A call or a calling. And it's used in verse 6. And then we're going to see that it's used again in uh, this passage in in another passage. How do you say that? Oh, Kletos. 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 Sorry about that. Kletos. K-L-E-T-O-S, transliterated. So, this idea of a calling, or a call, that's the noun form. That's the form that is here. But the idea and the meaning is the same. You can have a an invitation, you might say, to a dinner. That would be a calling. And here it is on a little piece of paper. That's my calling, or my invitation. It usually has a RSVP at the bottom there. Now... Our RSVP does not occur on our calling because God is sovereign. So, kletos is the Greek word. So, let's take a look at this idea. 
And we're looking at the theological, the spiritual idea. And the word is used more commonly in a theological, spiritual sense in terms of you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. It's used in that sense as often as it's used in some of those other senses. Now, it's probably most often used in the idea of calling by identification or naming something. But there's a lot of things that are mentioned. So let's take a look at those called. And I use this graphic at the bottom or this photo at the bottom to kind of awaken us. Some of you may be engineers. Some of you may be accountants. Some of you may be in the medical field. Some of you may be business owners. Whatever that is, that is not your calling. That simply is the means by which you make a living usually or you occupy the bulk of your time. That is not your divine calling. Your divine calling, I hope to convince you from scriptures, is broader and in this little tiny aspect of my life that I spend eight hours every day, that should fit into the broader calling which we'll look at in some detail. So that's why I'm going to use that photograph at the bottom just to awaken us. So regardless of where you would fit in, I don't think every occupation is necessary. Say that again. A vocation is not then a calling? I would say no, not in a biblical sense. It fits within a broader calling, and Bill probably has better insight. Yeah, it it fits within the broader calling. It can be a specific calling to a specific vocation in order to accomplish the the broader calling. Yes, very good. And that's the point. That's the biblical idea. Our tendency is to think of, I'm not a preacher, not a Bible teacher, not an evangelist, so I don't have a calling. Or, you know, I'm just a garbage collector. But the garbage collector has a broader calling, and that collecting of refuge is just within that broader context. And in fact, that garbage collector can actually probably receive greater reward than the preacher if he's faithful. Bill? That's exactly right. The the calling to be a garbage collector is in support of the broader calling. Absolutely. He calls us specifically, each one, to specific vocational callings to support the broader calling. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact looking at Bruce over there. Bruce was one of the, well, he was the first person that I worked for part-time. I've always supported my own ministry. I've always been involved in some way earning money like the rest of you until I didn't have time to earn money anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the Lord used people like Bruce in my life to be able to put me in a position to be able to work part-time and then eventually dwindle that down. But I think I had a sense of a broader calling, and I knew that ultimately I would not be earning money in that way, at least, and then I would uh, devote more time to the basic calling that God has, the overall calling. So whatever your profession is, you're amongst the call, but look at it in a broader sense. That's the whole idea here. Let's take a look at three things. Number one, we're going to look at those that are called, and all of this is... I'm just giving you the results of the word study. In other words, I looked up every passage 
where kaleo is used, kletas is used, and there's an adjective tribal form also that is used. I've looked all of them up, put it together, broken it down into three categories. Those who are called. So the called, there's a general calling. And we're talking in this theological sense. And why don't we look up some of these real quickly here. Somebody get... All right, Dave. Interestingly, now, this is not exactly clear, but even Christ is associated with the word kaleo in uh, Matthew 2.15, which is, it's kind of an interesting passage, but I just wanted you to be aware that even Jesus is included here. In his humanity, he had a call. Now, the Bible is very specific in his overall calling, but it doesn't use the word kaleo or kletos. But here's a, a, one passage where Jesus is in view and the, the word, the Greek word is used as well. So who wants to do that one? Okay. And Old Testament saints, at least one, is referenced in Hebrews 11, 8. Honey. Churches, the passage that we're looking at, he's talking to the Romans. You are called. Here's a, an example, and there's other examples as well. Early disciples have specific calling. And what you should gather from this, the word is used in terms of a variety of people, and by way of application, we can put ourselves into that this, the same category. We are the call. And the last category are believers. So who wants to do Matthew 4.21? And let's do these real quickly, all right? You got that one? Oh, which one? Which one do you want to do? Which one do you want to do? Okay, who wants to do 4.21? All right, Jenny. Matthew 22.14, this is a general calling, and it's an interesting passage. I don't want to get off the tangent here and get off too far, but notice this general calling. Spiritual sense, go ahead. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. Now, he's talking about a spiritual sense. Few are chosen. In other words, not everyone is going to take the step in believing in Jesus Christ but God has a plan for everyone, and they all have a calling, but few will receive the benefits of eternal life, but many are called. In fact, you might even say, in a general sense, God has a purpose for everything that he has created, and everyone. Matthew 2.15. You remain there until the death of This was to That refers to Jesus. Read it louder. What had happened, what had been spoken... By the Lord through the prophets, out of Egypt called his son. Okay, out of Egypt, referring to Jesus, he called his son. Now, it's not necessarily specifically speaking in terms of this broader way that we're talking about, but I just wanted you to see that there is a usage referring to Jesus Christ. But if you look broader, it's very clear he has come to save, he has come to judge, he has come to do all the things that the New Testament teaches and even the Old Testament uh, kind of lays a foundation for it. So Christ is associated with the word as well. One Old Testament saint, 11.8, who is that? I think Abraham obeyed when he was called. When he was what? Called. Called. Abraham believed God when he was called. Now, he was called in a very definite way, such that he probably heard the voice of God. You and I may not hear a voice of God, but we have his word, his voice, that awakens us to our calling as well. So Abraham, 11.8, so Old Testament people had calling. 
It's just one example there. Churches, uh, the passage we're looking at, we'll skip that one because we're in, in that context, and I've already mentioned it. Early Disciples, 421. Jenny? Going on further from there, he noticed two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them to follow him. He called them to follow him. In that context, it has a lot of the idea of inviting them. In other words, come join me in my mission, in my broad calling. And in that, he's talking about the 12 specifically, but there's other verses that speak in terms of early disciples as well. They had a calling, an invitation, and a task to accomplish as part of that calling. And then believers in general, uh, Romans 8.28 first. You got that one, Joanna? And we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. Okay, let's stop there. There's a plan of God that is broad. In other words, he has a purpose for all things. History is moving in a particular direction to accomplish all of God's plans. We, in this passage, as believers, fit in. And this is in the book of Romans, so it's written to that original audience, but you can put your name in there because it applies to us in general. (laughs) So there's a particular plan, and notice what it says. For from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, and all along he knew who would, should should become like his son, so that his son would be the first with many brothers. And having chosen us, he called us to come to him. And when we came, he declared us not guilty, filled us with Christ's goodness, gave us right standing with himself, and promised promised us his glory. Very good. Did you notice it started in eternity past? So this is a calling that supersedes even history, even the details of all of world history. He not only chose us, and I think it was in eternity past, but the word he called us is in that context. See that? So we ha- we are invited, you might say. We are given a calling, if you will, in the verbal, in the noun sense, in terms of a specific purpose for life. Now skip to verse 30 because it kind of expands upon that. Now, it begins with salvation. This is really a salvation passage where we are awakened to this broader idea that should permeate the rest of our lives. Verse 30. And having chosen us, he called us to come to him. And when we came, he declared us not guilty. Oh, you read that? Yeah. You skipped over that. Yeah. No, I had already read it. Filled us with Christ's goodness, gave us right standing with himself and promised us his glory. Okay, the right standing is that relationship with him where he has forgiven us of sin. We can stand before him. Uh, you could even say as saints. In other words, he's wiped us clean. Bill? I think the 29 is a very important passage that we ought to include. Yeah. Because this lays out God's objective for each believer to be conformed to the Son. Very good. Read it. So this is the verse between, so she, uh, Juliana read 28, and now this is 29, and then uh, she read 30. 
For those who foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, to be the firstborn of brothers. Juliana read that, but I think it's, it's worth uh, pausing and just emphasizing a little bit, because so often the things we, that happen to us seem to be um, kind of arbitrary or happenstance, but God's got a master plan, and the master plan right. is Right, and verse 28 emphasizes that no matter what happens, and I think he's almost alluding to anything negative even, God is working all things according to his purposes for those who are in fact called, for you and I. A sovereign God is at work orchestrating not only historical events, but everything in our lives to accomplish that goal. And that's great comfort, by the way. So, Those are the called, which includes you and I, in that group. In fact, it includes, I think, everyone in a a very general way. So those are the called. We also have a description of that calling from a biblical perspective. And in the usage of these, this comes from a third word that has the same idea. It's, It's in the same word group. And it's used in a noun sense, sometimes and it's used sometimes in an adjectival sense. We won't look these up for the sake of time, but 1129, it's the calling, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God's not going to say to you someday, oh, I called you and everything was going well and then you kind of became unfaithful. I'm going to go back on that calling. That verse says that no. We are guaranteed that we are secure in that calling. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You cannot cancel them out, essentially. It's by grace. In other words, we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve a calling. We don't deserve a place in God's plan. But 1 Corinthians one twenty six assures us that this calling is by grace. You can look these up on your own. It's... A calling that has a future. In other words, it's in hope. Everything that God has given us has not been completed yet. There's much to experience, not only here in this life, but in a future millennial experience, and even in a future eternal state. So there's a lot of hope that is associated with it, that we can put our confidence that God is still working. And that Romans 8, uh, 28 is another passage that tells us that no matter what happens now, that hope is going to be completed, and God has a plan. It's a holy calling. In other words, you are set apart like no one else, like no unbeliever, for a special plan. It's by grace, it's in hope, and... First, Second Timothy one nine. I should have mentioned Ephesians four four is in hope. Second uh, Timothy one nine is it's a holy calling. It's a heavenly calling described in three uh, one. So it has ramifications that go all the way into eternity in the future. Your calling. It's a heavenly calling. It's a spiritual calling. It's an ultimate calling. Philippians three fourteen. Paul describes his calling. As an upward calling. In other words, it should direct our attentions to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. It's upward. It's heavenly. It's to God himself. It's related to him. Whether you're collecting garbage or whether you're doing intricate brain surgery, that lesser calling should fit into a broader upward calling. And that's how we need to put perspective 
on our everyday lives. So these are just some descriptive phrases where the word calling is used. Third word that I didn't include on the list there. So those called includes you and I. A little description of that calling from the words that are used. And let's focus on the particulars. What are you called to? And the scriptures are full. Now, all of these are in general. All of these apply to us. In other words, put your name in all of these passages. This is the general calling. What I'd like to conclude with is each and every one of us has a very unique and special calling in addition to the broader overall calling that every believer has. Now, this applies to believers only, the particulars. So let's take a look at those. Ephesians 4.4, that was on the other slide. Let's look that one up. Dave, let me list them here. 1 Thessalonians 4.7, Jenny, called the lights. 1 Peter 2.9, and notice that they they encompass the writings of Paul, and in this case, Peter, who's got that one. All right. Peace, 1 Corinthians 7.15, called the peace. All right, great. Freedom, Galatians 5.13. The word, either kaleo or kletos, or in, all, in, in these contexts. Connie, you want to do that one? Galatians 5.13. Holiness, Juliana. Ah, here's a good one. Who wants to do that one? <laughs> Linda. Linda likes that one. First Thessalonians 2.12. Someone else. There you go, Jake. All right. Ephesians 4.4, 4, called the salvation. This is kind of our initial calling. Who's got it? There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One hope. In other words, in Jesus Christ, that's the broad one hope. And we are called, there's one calling. So there's, this is the broad calling, that calling of Jesus Christ. Like Abraham in the Old Testament, when he initially was called, he believed God. That Hebrews 11, 8 passage we looked up. When you go to the book of Genesis, you see mention of it in the early chapters of Genesis. We're called, first and foremost, to salvation, to have a personal relationship with God into eternity. And that's applicable to every believer. Your calling is to salvation in Jesus Christ that has eternal ramifications. It's part of your calling. Sanctification, that's Christian living. In other words, we're called to live different than the rest of the world. Our lives should reflect that we have this salvation calling or this relationship with God. Let's get it. Jenny? God has not called us to impurity. Like the rest of the world. He's not called us to impurity or things that are not lasting, things that destroy, but... But to holiness. But to holiness. Be dedicated and set apart by behaviors that Okay. Behavior. Christian living. And some, uh, some translations use the word sanctification. New American Standard. We're called to sanctification. In other words, the ongoing renewing of our mind, the ongoing of reoriented our lives such that we walk closer and closer with the Lord, more and more aware of that calling, more and more in terms of what God is doing moment by moment. That's sanctification. That's the whole Christian walk. We're called to that. And it's a, a walk of holiness. That's the whole idea of sanctification. 
We're called the light. We're called out of something and into something else. Glorious. So we replace an old life with a new life. First Peter 2.9, you got it. Jeremy. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's called us out of darkness into light. In other words, into truth, into revelation, into his word, out of confusion, out of darkness, mental disruption, mental disorientation, to light. In other words, truth. You are all called to that. That's why we take pains in studying the word, because this is the light that guides us in our daily life. So you're called a light. What else are you called to? You're called to peace, 1 Corinthians 7.15. Who's got it? But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. God has called us to peace. So regardless of what's going on in the world, even if Hillary is elected president, (laughs) we're called to peace. The world can fall apart. And in the midst of the most difficult time, we have peace available to us. That's a calling that every one of us has, every one of you in this room. We're also called to freedom, Galatians 5.13. Who's got that one? For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Liberty or freedom. We do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The Christian is really the only one that's free. We're the only ones that are really free. It's sin that binds us. And once we're forgiven, we are free. Now we can fall back into that old way of life and get become slaves again. We're going to see that in the book of Romans. But we're called to freedom. We have tremendous freedom in Christ. We're called to holiness. We've already seen that. You could use that Second Thessalonians 4, 7, but again, First Peter 1, 15. But be holy now in everything you do. So it's an exhortation to holiness because, why? Keep reading. Just as the Lord is holy, who invited you to be his child. Okay, invited you. There's the word. Hallel. The calling, who has called you to be his own. (laughs) So an exhortation to live a different life. A life, holiness is nothing more than a life set apart to God. In other words, I'm oriented everything so that I want to please God. I want to do what he reveals in his word. That's a life of holiness. Here's an interesting one. We don't want to hear this one. But in this life, we have even a calling to suffering. First Peter 2.11. And there's lots of passages that uh, warn us that in this life, we're not going to have justice. In this li- Peter 2.21. 2.21. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow this. Okay, and in that context, it's a calling to suffering, if you read the total context. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one. Okay, that's Jesus Christ as the example. We're called to the same thing. And Jesus said it in other contexts without using the the Greek word that we're looking at here. So we're called the suffering. Part of that hope that we have is we have a place in the future millennial kingdom. You are called to participate 
and part of your calling won't be fulfilled until we are in the millennial kingdom. First Thessalonians 2.12. That's yet future. Jacob, you got that one, right? Yes. Uh, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Called us to his kingdom and glory. Now that looks ahead. And everything that we do now should be in preparation to serve him in the kingdom because that calling extends not just into the kingdom but into all of eternity as well. So I as we look at this then, and we set it in contrast to the American goal, I just want to be free. I just want to be free. I don't want to be entangled by any. All of this is submitting ourselves to God's purposes, putting us under His authority. Through that, then we achieve really what our heart's desire is the freedom, the ultimate, the, the whole thing. Right. But as long as we just hang on to our American rights, then we're bonded. Yeah. In fact, there's a, you illustrate very well that there's a paradox. The freest person is the person that is most committed to Jesus Christ. That's where the most freedom is enjoyed. The person that is most enslaved is the person that tries to hang on to, quote, his own life and the life that he would decide, rather than submitting like Mary Lee pointed out. I had one more there, but we won't look up First Peter 5.10, but it speaks of an eternal inheritance. We're called to that as well. But I think we've already mentioned that it begins in eternity past, in that Jesus chose us and called us. We saw a passage in that orientation. And now we have even, it has ramifications in the far future. Your calling, our calling. So that's kind of the result of the word study, and you can look at them uh, again and kind of reinforce that. So that's the general calling that applies to each and every one of us. So in our formal introduction, we've looked at the messenger, we looked at the message, we looked at the mission. Verse 7 is going to tell us a little bit about the members, and we'll go over this quickly. He's sending something to or desiring something for all who are beloved of God in Rome. Notice the beloved aspect. In other words, all of this is motivated by God's love. He doesn't want us to be bound up. He doesn't want us to be in slavery. He has given us a plan that is for our benefit and it's motivated by love. So, All who are beloved of God. In other words, all believers. All genuine people that have received the salvation that God has. In Rome, specifically. But, who are beloved includes you and I as well. Because this is scripture. In Rome, and so just to remind you, he's writing to believers. He's not writing to the unbeliever. This is why this is important, this point. He's addressing all of these things. These blessings apply only to those that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, This is just from the introduction that I gave you in the book of Romans. There's a lot of Jewish people in these churches that were all over the city of Rome, and you don't need to jot those down. You already have them. We went through the introduction and all that. There's probably a majority of Gentiles that are part of these churches in Rome, and I mentioned that both Jew and Gentile were part of the church 
at Rome, so it includes lots of people, and you can put yourself in in there since you're reading Romans and you're visiting Rome Sunday by Sunday, and it's to the church at Rome specifically. And we mentioned that there are many house churches based on what we have in the conclusion. And perhaps a thousand believers in the city of Rome in the first century. Probably more. And several house churches individually. Some of them probably smaller than what we have here today. So that's who the letter is addressed to. Called as saints. The word saints is one that is set apart for a purpose. You are set apart. Your calling has set you apart. Unfortunately, again, we kind of twist these ideas and we attach other meanings to this word and we kind of elevate people and put them in these categories. But biblically, he's talking to every believer in the city of Rome. Every one of them are called, there's the word. The word occurred in verse 6, occurs here. It occurred in verse 1, specifically of Paul. Here it is again. Here's the third occurrence. And that calling is as saints, set apart for a purpose. Would that be like an identity calling? Yes. That's our identity. We are people that God has set apart to be a special instrument in that broader plan of God that applies to every believer. And then we have the munificence kind of stretching the alliteration here, which is grace to you. And what he wants the Romans to experience is the full complement of grace. And that full complement of grace includes an awareness of this calling that is by grace. And he wants them to experience it and know it day by day. And once you and know his grace, in other words, once you've come into a relationship with him by grace, then you have peace. You have inner peace. And now you can go about living your life in a hostile world and accomplishing everything that God has for you. And that's what he wants for the, uh, the people at Rome. And that's what he wants for people in general. In fact, this little blessing, you'll find it in almost every one of the letters of Paul. He wrote it to the, the Corinthians, who were kind of a real, what's the word here? <laughs> Bad church. Does the same thing, or the Ephesians, or the Philippians, Colossians, whatever. He wants them to have peace, and the only source of it is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Bill. In Paul's introductions to all his letters, he always puts grace first. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, great. If you don't have the grace, you're not going to have the peace. Yeah, peace always follows. Good point. So our closing thought is think in terms of what is your specific, very special, personal calling. You're inclined towards music, mathematics. That fits within that broader calling that has all of those characteristics, all of those aspects that we talked about in the word study. And yours is special and unique that only you have. You have a particular calling that no one else has who wants to close doors. Jacob's smiling, so he gets it. He's always smiling, yeah.
Father God, we come before you and we thank you uh, for bringing us here together and, and learning about our calling for our lives. And we thank you, um, as your word says, we just thank you without ceasing because of your calling for us, for everything you promised. And we ask that you guide us as we go through our week and um, help us to look after your will. Amen. Amen.